this is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London. London. Okay. Podcast. Uh, three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another London is Blue podcast. If you're unfamiliar with the voice, that's right. This isn't Brandon. This isn't Dan. This isn't Nick. This is Joe Tweeds. I will be hosting the Mailbag this evening, and tonight I am joined by my illustrious Tinkerman co-host Yasin McLean. Yas, how are you doing, mate? All good, um, and it's actually quite a nice respite to do a mailbag instead of any analysis because games have been rough lately, <laughs> to be honest. So, so yeah, but yeah, I'm all good, mate. How are you? Yeah, yeah, really, really good, mate. Yeah, I think I actually say. Um, I think for for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Tinkerman or are avid listeners, I think it's it's fair to say the amount of of time that goes into preparing for those pods. It can go into sort of the, well, it definitely goes into the hours, but it can stretch into the days at times in terms of the work that goes into them. And I can't imagine, certainly the next one that we do, the games, <laughs> washing them back, are going to be uh, too, uh, too pleasurable or interesting. Well, I suppose they're interesting in a way, but certainly not pleasurable enough to, uh, to sort of cover there. But, uh, you yeah, know, all good apart from that. Um, so I think for tonight, Yaz and I are going to probably split the, the mailbag into three sections. We had a lot of questions around, I suppose, similar topics, similar themes. Um, one focused on recruitment. That will be part one. Part two will be kind of a little bit about, I suppose, the ownership and the board. And then the last part is loosely around, I suppose, Thomas Tuchel, the system, a little bit on some Chelsea players, a little bit more to do with sort of the, the tactical side of things as well. So part three will cover that. Um, in terms of the questions, we'll try and give a shout out to, to people at the beginning of the uh, sort of segment there. Um, but as I say, there were there were lots of over, overlapping questions here, so we've tried to kind of boil them down to their constituent parts to answer them for you. So, with that being said, we'll head into the the, uh, the first part here, which is going to be around recruitment. And in this area, we had um, questions from RJ Goodthings, who uh, is a is a good friend of mine and, and also has a, a fantastic podcast on his own. Uh, Tunde Ganey, uh, Chris O'Flynn, CFC Central, I think that's Dex1905 and William Donoghue. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously with, with Summer on the on the horizon, Yaz, and I suppose technically with the ownership situation still up in the air, it might feel a little bit premature to start talking about recruitment, but we did have plenty of questions here. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, um, to be honest, I think a lot of them are quite measured questions in that Although it's a new ownership group coming in and we're not 100% of what that's going to look like, there are just burning issues, really, um, in terms of contracts, which we talked about on the last episode, in terms of low knees who've out, outperformed expectations and, um, and, and then now reports sort of trickling out in terms of not just Rudiger and Christensen walking on freeze, but there's a report, oh, Alonso might fancy going on, Jorginho might fancy going and stuff like that. So, so I, th- I think these are quite good questions in that they're, they're very uh, realistic. It's not, ah, oh, what striker do you want to come in when the realistic likelihood is we're not going to be able to shift most of our forward line, I imagine, with... Um, with all the holes that need filling. So, so yeah, so some of them are really good. And I think, I think the first one is, is a nice kind of starter. Um, and it is around those players like Billy Gilmore, Conor Gallagher, Armando Brogia, Levi Colwell. And it's how would you handle our outgoings um, and reintegrate those low knees and academy boys who have gone out um, and, and performed pretty well I think I think generally Conor Gallagher and Levi Colwell have got the headlines I think Billy Gilmore's seat had a rough loan but I think that loan was almost as much about getting a season of men's football in his legs as anything else I don't think he's the profile of player that's going to look great at Norwich and 
in terms of all competitions, I think Brojo is still Southampton's leading scorer despite having a rough couple of months lately. So, so yeah, how, how do you see the summer going in terms of reintegrating those guys and what outgoings do you prioritise? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting one to start the the, the sort of mailbag here. Um, I think first and foremost, kind of setting the scene a bit, I, I think we are going to need a lot of these guys to come back almost out of absolute necessity rather than probably by design at this point, you know, for anyone who I think it might have been the last uh, Tinkerman we did where we walked through just the contractual picture in midfield. But obviously, we know that we've got this sort of impending situation at centre-back as well. It feels like uh, guys like Levi Carwell, Conor Gallagher, uh, Gilmore, even even Ethan Ampadu, Breuer, you know, etc. Um, the, the, the need for them to come back in and almost just become professional bodies in the squad, given, you know, sort of the... the it sort of feels like kind of inevitable departures on the horizon I know Marcus Alonso has uh, been linked away from Chelsea before and I think a lot of fans have wanted to see him depart before he's actually playing fairly well at the moment and maybe that that's going to be a little bit something that we touch on in the Tinkerman but um, him you know in terms of his potential departure in terms of Aspilicueta as well you say Jorginho his agent who must be the most talkative person to ever be involved in in football um, constantly obviously talking about Jorginho wanting to perhaps now go back to, to to Italy to kind of finish that last sort of chapter of his career. There are almost, I want, I want to say there are almost one-to-one replacements coming back in, not necessarily in terms of quality or experience, but certainly in terms of, of sort of the profile of players. So I think with, with young players coming back into the squad, it almost feels like it's going to be a little bit of a wait and see scenario. Obviously, you know, we are, I suppose, sort of trying to, to, to force through or, or to try and get the ownership situation resolved as soon as possible so we have a slightly better idea on on sort of incomings um, in terms of transfers and obviously the, the ability to sell players. But it feels like we're going to need uh, depth at wing-back. We're clearly going to need some centre-backs. Um, we probably need some, some fresh ideas in midfield and, and having... Uh, another goal scorer in the sort of attacking area of the pitch, whether that is a Breuer or you know, somebody even like uh, Gallagher or somebody like of, of that sort of ilk, um, is going to be, I think, pretty you know pretty required over the course of summer. And just just on that one, with goals, obviously, kind of everyone's focus at the moment and the chances we don't put away and stuff. Do you see room in the squad for a, a Broja next year? Depends. Depends who goes. And I. I, I appreciate so anyone who works in I suppose any kind of discipline where you're asked to give an opinion the the correct answer is always it depends um but if if Romelu Lukaku leaves and there's a lot of noise around him wanting to go and I think personally that that would be that would be the right decision you know the the new ownership aren't going to be sort of you know encumbered with with that transfer that's not something that's associated with them they can have you know it's going to be a a bit of a financial black hole for the club to swallow but um, you know, for him to him to move on, I think that would be useful. Um, I just think that, yeah, I think there's room for him because that sort of mobile, aggressive style of player that he has, um, you know, his ability to to press and and to sort of play a little bit on the shoulder and and, and be a relatively decent finisher. Although, I think as you mentioned, he has gone for a sticky patch there. Um, but it depends if he goes and maybe somebody like a Timo Werner or a, or a Christian Pulisic or one of sort of the wide forwards goes. There is going to be a need for for him, I think, to come back and at least be here until until January. I am, I know, and I think you are the same. Yes, we're both big fans of Kai Havertz, but it's still sort of inconsistent performances and and trying to sort of really feel what is the best supporting structure around him to make him play at his best. Because I think when he has been at his best this season, certainly over the past couple of months, some of those performances have been 
of, of, of a real sort of sufficient, or, you know, a real kind of sufficient quality that you would be happy for that to be sort of the long-term future at the position. Um, so I, yeah, I, I do think there is room for him, but obviously it will take um, two, potentially three players um, sort of leaving for, for him to sort of come in and make an impact. And I think the other thing just to finish that up on is, you know, we don't really know what sort of system um, is going to be played next season. If it's two strikers, if it's going to be the one striker, how that's going to look like. Um, so yeah, I think, I think he has every opportunity, but, um, there is an enormous Romelu Lukaku shaped sort of, you know, kind of objects in the way of, of his path. And I think also probably Timo Werner also probably comes into that equation as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think the one that everyone kind of assumes could slot in best is, is a Gallagher. Um, how do you see that adjustment? Like, cause I think it's, it's often forgotten now, but it was such a while ago, but he did play in pre-season against Bournemouth and Tuchel decided he was going to play him as one of the two in the midfield uh, in a 3-4-3. Um, funnily enough, I think Armando Broger came on the same game and, and scored late yeah. on. Um, so how do you see that reintroduction working? I think it goes without saying, I, well, I mean, I'm ready to be proved wrong on this, but I think of all the low knees, I think Gallagher is the most surefire to be part of the squad next year. Um, I think he just adds something that you know none of the midfielders really our offering in terms of instincts in the box and the energy that we've kind of touched on on previously. How, how do you see his reintegration? Do you think it will be pretty seamless and easy? Do you think there'll be some teething pains? Um, and what might need to change to make it easier? I think a large part of his success at Palace is that he there is a degree of freedom with which he plays and that, that doesn't always feel like it fits into sort of the tactical framework that, that Tuchel wants to deploy, particularly if he's going to play in that sort of double pivot role in midfield. It does feel a little bit like he would be maybe restricted in, in some of his, particularly, you know, those those late ones from midfield, his ability to burst from midfield as well, the ability to arrive late in the box. I think as you touch upon there, I'm not suggesting by any, you know, stretch of imagination that he is like a classic number ten in terms of vision and creativity, but he does he does seem to create a lot of problems when he isn't around the area, whether that's a little pass or just a movement or, you know, that he has this sort of flat, you know, kind of ability to flash in and out of the area and, and that draws the eye. Um I would be interested to see him play in that in that sort of midfield structure, particularly because I think he gives you a little bit of cover. He gives you a little bit of Kante in terms of the, the skill set that he could bring there. Um, he has the the energy, the physicality and the aggression. I think certainly we, we lack a little bit at times, uh, particularly when Kante and cover are both looking quite leggy towards the end of the season. Um, and again, you know, it's... It's not necessarily the the way that I think the team is set up, but he would give you the ability to have someone in midfield who can maybe chip in with with 10 plus goals, which for a team that I think struggles to, to get goals from all areas of the pitch. And, you know, when you think of Chelsea title winning teams, yes, you, you've got a Costa or a Drogba who's probably going to get 20 league goals, but you're chipping in with goals from wide players. You've got defenders, you know, the whole back four is scoring 15 goals a season. You've got midfielders chipping in with eights and tens and, and obviously more when Lampard was there. So I think we need to look at having the ability to, to have players in the team that are both capable and obviously used, used to scoring from, from different areas of the pitch. And he, he obviously brings that to the game as well. So I think seamless transition, the only question I would say in terms of the original statement would be, if we can't sign a centre-back, then I think Levi Colwell at the moment is an automatic starter, which is uh, going to, uh, for somebody that I think is incredibly talented. Um, and really, you know, if you look at him as a player, if you were to make a centre-back on FIFA, you know, he's got his height, he's got the technical ability, you know, his ability to to hit passes on all different angles and depths and pace and 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 in behind to feet, you know, on the angle, all these sorts of things that you would want to see from a really elite player. He's got them, but... 
that's a big step up from obviously a Huddersfield team that are playing out of their skins are in the playoffs. Hopefully they come up and, and he's a big part of that. But big step up to come from playing in that system to and, and not only that, looking like somebody who's going to have to fill the shoes of, of Antonio Rudiger, who is sort of both kind of the spiritual and physical leader of this team at the moment. So Colwell maybe is the most important because as as things stand, he's the only contracted player that I think can play in that position next season. Um, Gallagher maybe has a little bit more to, to do in terms of shifting other players if they don't leave. So maybe Colwell at this point in time is, is sort of the de facto starter and, and maybe the most important. All right. Well, it is not editor Jake. It is OG editor Brandon. Jake is in England with Dan and Nick. So I am on edit duty. And look, it's that time. We're going to take an ad break. Thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. And we're back. More from the Tinkerman. All right. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well... It's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in, you know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and, and fat, and now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it. It, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I mean, that kind of links into the next one, really. Uh, it's, we, you can't really escape the reports. They're all <laughs> over the place about what we are um, going to be targeting in the summer window. Uh, we're losing two senior centre-backs. We have potentially a third senior defender leaving. Them. I think there, I think there could well be a Giroud-esque kind of renew clause, but sell for a nominal fee with Azpilicueta. Um, and then you've only got Silva locked in for another year, and he's turning 38 in September or August. So... Obviously, we're looking to re-bolster the back line. Um, I think concerningly maybe for Colwell is that I, I see a lot of early links with left-footed defenders like a Pau Torres and um, I don't know how to exactly pronounce the Croatian name, Gravidol from um, Leipzig, who I haven't seen much of, but saw as we are recording him gets turned into next week by Joe Rebo of Rangers. So that's, <laughs> that's a great first impression. Um not less, there hasn't been much Colwell mentions in the reports from Matt Law and stuff, which is a little bit concerning for me, especially because they're making such a big deal about it being left-sided and he's not even getting a nominal mention. Um, but 
Obviously, there's Jules Kunde as well from last summer. Um, we're going to be in the market for at least one, potentially 10 centre-backs. Um, who would your two priority candidates be if you were emailed by the new owner and asked, right, we need two? Yeah, this is, uh, I think, the, the one that I want to touch on, and it wouldn't be a recommendation, and this is just because, again, um, I think Pau Torres is a, is a name that, that frequently comes up from people who I don't think watch a lot of Villarreal or watch a lot of La Liga football and just assume that because he's this kind of tall Spanish centre-half that he must be a decent player or he's going to be, I don't know, another Ruben Diaz or Americ Laporte kind of calibre of player coming from sort of Iberia. Um, and I think this is this is partly where I have fundamental disagreements with how Chelsea evaluate players because... If you watch how Villarreal play, they're very structured. It's very much, you know, sort of deep block. It's sitting on the edge of your, you know, kind of defense. It's it's super compact and and there's not an awful lot of of I think stylistic carryover to a team where if you're looking at the wide centre backs, the ability to drive and carry into midfield and be dynamic and have recovery pace and be aggressive, like the traits that you would you would kind of want from those those sort of potential new candidates coming in. I just don't see that with Torres. Chelsea defend about 10, 15, 20 metres higher up the pitch than, than Villarreal do. Um, you know, this this is a little bit of an unfair comparison, but the, the more I watch him, the more that I just see him as sort of a modern Spanish version of Gary Cahill. And Gary Cahill was an absolutely phenomenal defender in terms of defending his penalty box, defending in structure, you know, keeping that, that traditional centre-back spot. But if you're looking at kind of Tuchel, Tuchel's sort of profile or how he has used Rudiger, how he has used Reese James in those positions, what he asks of those players. I, I'm unsure whether Torres, A, has the sort of the the game to to replicate Rudiger, the, the technical quality on the ball to drive into midfield. But also, he, he seems to be be very much a defender that is is comfortable, you know, defending the edge of his penalty area and, and being being that kind of player. And again, if we're watching this this guy every week, you know, we've often spoken about how how does you know how do you scale talent? How does talent translate to Chelsea? I I don't personally see it. Always always happy to be proven wrong if he comes and he plays fantastically well. But there's nothing in his game at the moment that I see that really strongly correlates to to success in this, in this Chelsea system. And I think with that being said, the two people that I'm interested in, I kind of was all, I I suppose my default position is I watch a, a lot of French football. I watch a lot of Ligue 1, um, and the the guy over there at the moment um, is a centre-back who plays for Leon and he might be, in terms of the age profile, I think somebody that Chelsea probably aren't looking at. Uh, Castello Lecaba, the guy's name is, I'm probably saying his surname very, very wrong. Uh, Leon centre-half, he's, you know, they're a, a factory for talent. They produce so many phenomenal players. They they seem to, to produce like a wonder kid every couple of seasons. Um, but he is, again, you know, the modern, modern centre-back. He's got a great range of passing. He's super comfortable on the ball. Yes, he's a little bit rash and yes, he's a little bit kind of, I suppose, helter-skelter at times because of his age, but he's got fantastic athletic qualities, fantastic recovery pace. You know, he's he's great. He's strong on the ball. And if you're talking about trying to move in a direction where we're, we're looking at signing or, or trying to get some signings in that were a little bit like the the period we have with De Bruyne and, and Lukaku and Courtois and Hazard, and you know when you're identifying talent, that one that one move before they they become a little bit un, unobtainable or, or the price is going to quadruple, he would be one that I'd really be looking at because I just think certainly with his with his kind of technical gifts, with his his athletic qualities, that that for me is it, it's an easy translation to Chelsea. And yes would need a period of bedding in and need a period of adjustment. But long-term, he would be one that I'd look at. And the second one is, uh, again, not a surprise to anyone that, that's that's listened to me talk about centre-backs previously, but I, I would go and pay big money for, for Wesley Fofana at Leicester. 
Um, I have, you know, friends who who watch Leicester regularly and they kind of sort of saying, you know, in terms of him coming back into, into the fold, that he looks probably better, which is, you know, a little bit of a strange statement to make given the injury that he had, but there's no sort of physical drop-off in terms of his performance. I think he's now Premier League adjusted. I think, you know, he's he's not, again, he's not absolutely perfect, but you are trying to replace a super aggressive, super mobile um, kind of leader figure in, in Rudiger in this in this back three or back four, potentially whatever it might be next season. I think Fafana has that sort of quality in terms of, you know, he's he's a bit aggressive. He's obviously got the size, um, you know, again, would still need refining and st- would still need to go up a level, I think, to play for a team that eventually wants to compete for, for Premier League titles. But I'm a big, big fan of Fafana. And I think certainly under Tuchel, this structure... Um, you know, playing alongside maybe Silva, you know, for, for a season to sort of get that experience. And we've seen how Silva has impacted a lot of players at Chelsea. Those would be the two I'd sign in. And I appreciate that both of them are very young. Uh, with Colwell and Chalaba, you know, that kind of gives you like an almost like a 30-year age cap or whatever. It's some, something stupid to, to Thiago Silva. Um, but if, if we have to go out and sign a slightly more experienced player to, to sort of balance out the, the back three, I'd be happy for that. But modern football, having three incredibly young centre-backs who can play across a back three, can play in a back four, have technical quality, have pace, have physicality. They have all the raw tools to be successful. And, you know, if we're going seriously going down the route of, of you know, Jules Kunde or Paul Torres, you know, Kunde may or may not be a great player at Chelsea, but he would be one of, I don't know, if, if you can name me off the top of your head, Jazz, uh, five centre-backs under five foot 11 or whatever, how, how tall he is, who have been super successful in the Premier League, considering the amount of money he'd pay, I'd quite happily be be proven wrong there. Um, yes, you know, he's he's got great physical quality, but it's it's difficult, I think, for Chelsea to really pursue a centre-back that is is kind of my height. And I, I've never been a centre-half in my entire life. Um, and then, as I say, the, the, the Torres one for me, that that is just completely the wrong stylistic fit. Again, you know, if he comes and he's amazing, then absolutely fantastic. But I'm just unsure why we are looking at players who play in a team that style is so absolutely, um, you know, kind of the polar opposite to what Chelsea are trying to implement. You know, it's, it's the same thing. You're going to need somebody that has has pace, aggression, that can play in space, that can actually you know, impact the game. And, you know, we, we both know how much Chelsea centre-backs actually uh, sort of catalyst for for the attacking phase of play, and I don't always see that in his game. So, you know, two two slightly younger players, slightly different sort of profiles. But I think in terms of where we're trying to head, those would be the guys that I would look to to uh, to try and grab. Yeah, and I think you touched on a really important point, which has been a frustration with Chelsea for me for years. And I know we're going to talk about um, new ownership model and stuff at the end, but to constantly. I said to someone recently, we're always, yes, we're always one move behind on the player. So um, Guardiola, uh, Leipzig joined from Dinamo Zagreb for £15 million. Dinamo Zagreb have one of the most populous academy uh, conveyor belts into the professional game. So it wouldn't be completely out of, uh, you know, out of random to be watching them. Um, And then Fafana, like you've mentioned, was a thirty million pound buy from San Etienne to Leicester in the first place. So again, that's it's Ligue 1. It's not like it's the far flung side of the world where these players are playing, and it just seems to be a very deliberate, purposeful choice from Chelsea that we would rather wait until they've had a year or two proven in a in a more competitive team and spend three times the money. Now, 
I'm sort of, in a way, hopeful we don't have the luxury of doing that moving forward because it might force some proper scouting to happen and some early gambles to happen rather than just waiting and having the sort of privileged position of, ah, oh, we'll just splurge three times the amount um, because it's just, it's just, it's just lazy really. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm with you there in going young, um, but I it'd be great if we could get in ahead of these big moves because like I said, Fafana was a 30 million pound signing in the first place to Leicester. Yes, he's had an injury now, but you just wonder what he's going to cost us if we go to Leicester. And how um, many how many times do we go and buy the quote-unquote sure thing and they don't pan out here? I mean, we seem yeah. to have historically at least had a little bit more success when we've taken an educated punt on a, okay, you know, they're not here now, but, you know, that period where we went out and signed De Bruyne, Salah, Lukaku, Hazard, Courtois. Absolutely, and that's the last time we've had any yeah, real success with that. And then and you look at those guys, they're not here now, but look what they've gone on to achieve. Even someone as, even a signing like Oriol Romeu. Oriol Romeu is not a world-class player, but we, he picked him up for four million and he's been in the Premier League since we got him. Um, yeah. That's you know that's not that's that's a sign of positive recruitment there. So so yeah, that, that is a frustrating one. I think I'm going to le- link that into one and merge it with the next question now because we've kind of talked a lot about centre backs there. Um, we kind of know that a centre back at least will have to be signed. Moving away from central defence entirely, what would be your two priorities in order? First two priorities of of a new player in um, in terms of the position and. A name if you can do with them and then we're going to talk on two of the less mentioned and heralded loanies to return um i i think for me that the priority is it's probably going to be a centre-back i know that i've i've kind of gone back and forth between centre-back and centre-midfield but i think the more that i've thought about this recently it's, it's going to happen outside be. of centre-back because i think centre-back yeah. we're going to have to get so, what would be your second and third? Uh, so second and third, two, two midfielders. I'd like a slightly more defensive-minded uh, central midfielder and I'd like a slightly more kind of box-to-box gung-ho central midfielder. Um, whether that is maybe the ideal scenario is a Declan Rice and an Aurelian Schermeni would be my ideal combination of players. Um, but those are the kinds, I think, the sort of profiles that I'd, I'd be keen on seeing here. Um, and the third one, although I'm not necessarily settled on a name yet, I think Chelsea need... Um, either a a player capable of playing wide and scoring goals or a player capable of playing wide and being um, a little bit more of a, a direct sort of 1v1 playmaker type. Um, again, wh- whoever that sort of profile of player is, I probably, I think when we do our, our serious recruitment sort of session in the summer, um, we'll probably have a, a little bit more of a deeper dive into the names here. But I think from a profile standpoint, having somebody that can actually when the game is slowed down and maybe when we're not having that ability to inject pace into the game to to beat somebody, to create space, to create overloads themselves, I think that's going to be an important thing. And, and, and if they can finish, fantastic. But maybe maybe having that skill set to actually beat players and, and create, you know, sort of situations where, you know, you're having to drag centre-backs or midfielders over to help cover them, creating a little bit more space for other players, that's probably the, the, the sort of area I'd be looking at. Oh, and, and then the next one, and I think this was a Chris Flynn question, but... Um, how would do you think that Dujon Sterling and Ian Matson, who have been on loan at Blackpool and Coventry respectively in the championship this year are good enough to come in and play back up to James and Chilwell if they're not how do you handle it if they are how do you handle the other players in those positions like an Azpilicueta and Emerson and Alonso um, yeah I'm interested in your thought on this one because I haven't watched a lot of the, their current loans I just go back to remembering how impressed I was with Sterling as 
an under 18 player. He was a little bit overmaturated, so it was a little bit men against boys. Um, but he just looked such a threat um, down the same side as Reese James and Trevor Chalibur and stuff. Um, that it was someone I always wanted to do well, whether at Chelsea or elsewhere. He's had a year of a horrendous year in terms of injury and illness, which I don't think is on public record. I think it's a bit vague what the illness is. Um, and by all accounts, has had a pretty solid season at Blackpool. So where do you stand on Matson and, and Sterling? Yeah, I, I think this is, I think looking at sort of the original question that we kicked off this section with, they may have to come back out of necessity. Um, the reason I wouldn't be too upset is because I think, well, you know, when we when we speak about building the squad and when we talk about rotation, when we talk about losing key pieces, if you have players that you know, maybe you know, okay, Dujon Sterling is not Reese James. I think that that's very clear, and Ian Matson isn't Ben Chirwell, but they can play those roles. I think certainly as as wing backs and and as even probably as fullbacks to some extent, um, they can play those roles. I think in a similar enough manner where you're not necessarily impacting the entire structure of the team. You're not having to massively change your your game model, your tactics, your style of play from week to week because you don't know if if you know Reese is going to make two, three games in a week. Obviously, Ben Chilwell's out, for example, or maybe you need to rotate Azpilicueta and therefore you have to completely change the focus of the, the attacking um, sort of structure of the team, etc. I think with those in there, I'd be... Yes, you know, Marcus Alonso comes up with important goals. Yes, Aspilicueta is Chelsea's captain and, you know, one of the, the sort of the long-standing veterans of this team. But I think from a from a stylistic standpoint, if they can adjust to Premier League football, um, Matson gives you more of what Ben Chilwell does than, than Marcus Alonso and Dujon Sterling gives you more of what Rhys James does than Aspilicueta. And at least, the, like, theoretically in my head, you know, if Reese needs to have a rest and you still have that swashbuckling up and down powerhouse in Dujon Sterling, who can do similar things to Reese. Um, and similar with, with Matson, you know, he is he's a good defender and he's great going forward and he gives you a lot of what Ben Chilwell does as well. So the names are not as substantial as those that they're that they're going to be replacing. But if we're talking about, I mean, super obviously incredibly cheap ways to to replace or to to deputize. Um, for two areas of the pitch that I think you know are increasingly important for Tuchel, whether they are next season or not, is it remains to be seen. But at the moment, the wide uh, players, certainly the wing backs, are two of the biggest playmakers in terms of Chelsea's sort of attacking construct. So having two players that can play in a similar manner obviously is beneficial in, in that respect. So yeah, I, I do think that they can come back in. I still wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea went out and tried to find. I know they were linked with with Sosa um, in Germany, and I think he is maybe looking looked at as more of a if Ben Chilwell isn't the Ben Chilwell that we saw, you know, playing this season. If he hasn't recovered uh, from from the the injury that he's had, then I think Sosa is more of a let's okay, maybe we can ease Ben out and this guy can come in. Um, but I'd be very happy with with uh, with Matson and, and Sterling deputising um, and again I think we've seen when when young players are sort of thrown in the majority of them tend to tend to swim here so I'd have no qualms about giving them opportunities next season as, as backups Cool and then this is kind of like the last one on the recruitment to round it out is we touched on this a little bit in the last episode which was um, I think this was from CFC Central it was Kante and Jorginho have a year left um, 31 and 32 respectively maybe 30 and 31 respectively um i mean you and me have wanted to build beyond those two players now for maybe a year 18 months yeah. but yeah. you know we're not going to be finding any bargains with clubs knowing that it's now a need rather than a choice but again we are where we are um how would you rebuild the midfield how would you what kind of profiles would you look at and 
and yeah how would you how would you keep the balance of quality and the level high and I guess if anyone pops into mind who would be great targets I imagine we only really have the time for one yeah um, in terms of actual groundwork being put in with clubs and agents and this and the other by the time this ownership nonsense is finally over um, who would that one be and again I guess this is another opportunity to maybe just touch on the low knees uh, returning yeah I mean I think again this is a little bit of best case scenario thinking here but I think Billy Gilmore potentially gives you a lot of what Jorginho can offer in terms of in terms of control, in terms of being a, a passer at the base of, of a midfield or being that sort of presence that is going to be a little bit more of a, a pivot player in terms of how Chelsea build from the back. So with Georgie going, I think maybe Gilmore is is a replacement there for that kind of profile of player. I think Gallagher, I think as we discussed earlier, gives you a lot of what Kante does and, and maybe a lot of what Kovacic can offer as well. So you kind of have cover from, from Gallagher in terms of the the sort of energy stakes, in terms of the, the dynamism stakes. I think... The one player that I'd be looking at, and again, you know, I, I say this as somebody, I, I think Declan Rice would be a great signing at Chelsea. I think the way midfield is going, certainly in world football now, I think you're seeing the rise of these sort of multifunctional, multidimensional midfielders who can play as a number six, can play as number eight, have you know number ten qualities in their game. It's it's almost like the resurgence of you know this this kind of generation of like Arturo Vidal kind of box to box players that seem to be. Um, you know, kind of taking over pretty much every every top team is looking for that guy. And with that being said, I, I think I don't think Schumann is as good a pure defender as as Rice, particularly if you're looking at, at somebody in space. But he's good enough to 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 do the defensive side of the job. I mean, you know, you watch, watch him play against PSG in any game, you'll see him play a slightly more withdrawn role, makes great tackles, and really generally comes out on top of guys like Marco Verratti and, and those who play around him. But it's his range of passing, and I think his ability to speed up the game. That's always, you know, always my concern when we talk, guys, is, is that the word dynamism is what I want to see more from our midfield. And whether that is somebody who can carry or somebody who can just hit really great passes consistently. But I think him being the the target for this season, because I just think that he's a better, be, better passer and probably fits more of what Thomas Tuchel is looking for in that position for the time being. In an ideal world, I, I would love to get Rice and have him as that real kind of you know bedrock of, of midfield with Schirmeni kind of playing around him. If that's transitioning to like a three in midfield, him, Schirmeni and, and Gallagher would be would be incredible basis uh to sort of you know to kind of build upon. But um we're looking as you say for for one player that I think is going to be more transformative, it's probably Schirmeni at this point. And I guess uh, a last little one, because you've just made me triggered it into my head there. I mean, we've seen fees ranging from 80 to 150 million pounds for Declan Rice. And uh, like we touched on this in the last episode, I think Declan Rice has loads of good qualities. I just think that's an insane amount of money for any player, um, regardless, uh, unless they are a total, total prime Messi-esque game changer. Um what would Conor Gallagher be worth in the current market considering that? That's a good question. Um, so, I mean, I think even even if, you know, really, really top tier DMs, they seem to be like a super important part of pretty much every successful team. Um, the fact that, that Rice has come out, I think multiple times now in the press, you know, via Matt Law and others saying, you know, he's effectively not going to sign a new contract. That upper end valuation of 150, We'll stop there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, OG editor Brandon back. Uh, Joe and Yaz decided to mid-idea stop there. Recruitment is over. Part two will be out tomorrow. It's going to be all about the ownership and the board and what they're going to be doing 
uh, about that. So um, check it out. More Tinkerman in your ears tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed it, Joseph fans.